Thanks, Robert. Well, if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, if you don't, please use one that's in the rack in front of you. We're going to look at Hosea and open it there to Hosea. It's right after Daniel. It's the first listed in our Bible of the minor prophets. And as you're finding Hosea, I want you to put maybe a thumb or a piece of paper there, and then I want you to go to the table of contents. And we're going to look at that for just a second. But as you're doing that, let me just mention something like, come on, it's August 22nd, 2022. It's a late summer, the dog days of August, Sunday night. And we had some people pray. We agreed with them in prayer. And it may just seem like another thing that Christians do, but what the Bible says about what was going on when we prayed in Revelation chapter 5, verse 8, is that, that our prayers... So when Edith prayed and Jeff prayed and Bill and Pam and Payne, they were, those, those prayers are stored up in heaven as incense in the bowls of heaven that permeate the nostrils of God and he uses them in some mysterious divine way to actually bring about his sovereign will. That's mind-blowing, but it's really encouraging. That's what we were just doing. So praise God for that. Um, okay, we are kicking off a overview series of the 12 minor prophets, Hosea through Malachi, maybe one of the most, un, the most uh, unfamiliar portions of the Bible for most Christians. So what I want you to do is I want you to look at the table of contents in your Bible, and I want to give you a sense of the Old Testament and really the story and the organization of the Old Testament. So the Old Testament sometimes is referred to by three different groupings, the, the law the history and the writings, or the law, the prophets and the writings. And those are helpful ways to think about it, but I want to just kind of look at the table of contents in the books and to help you kind of see the flow of the Old Testament. So you see there, if you see in the table of contents, you see Genesis all the way through Esther. Now, the first five books of the Bible are called the Pentateuch, or the law, the Torah, and it contains the law, obviously, in, uh, in Exodus and, and then repeated again in Deuteronomy. But those first five books of the Bible are not only the law, but also the beginning, obviously, of all things and the beginning of the history of Israel. And then you see Joshua through Esther is in really Genesis all the way through Esther is really the history. It's the narrative. These are historical books. And so the whole timeline of the time of Adam all the way up until the 400 silent years before Christ comes are contained in the history of Genesis through Esther. And really it ends with Nehemiah and Ezra where God's people are going back to the promised land after their captivity, rebuilding Jerusalem, and then we enter into the silent years, and then we get to the New Testament and Matthew. So really the whole actual history of the Old Testament in a sense of a historical laying out, chronological if you want to think of it that way, is contained in Genesis through Esther. And then you see Job through the Song of Solomon. These are referred to often as wisdom literature. And these are, 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 are books, poetry, songs that are not necessarily chronological, but they are wisdom literature as a kind of commentary on the folly and the, of Israel and the goodness of God's people 
in a sort of overarching sense over the whole. They sort of stand, not in a chronological sense, but they're grouped together in that way because of their genre of literature, and they're speaking, they're God's wisdom, God's songbook uh, for God's people as they're progressing through this timeline. And then you'll see the prophets picked up with Isaiah through Malachi. Isaiah through Daniel, those often called the major prophets because of their size, not because their message is more important. And then Hosea through Malachi, and those are often called the minor prophets. Again, not because their message is less important, but just because they're shorter in length. But here's what I want you to see, is that if the whole history or narrative of the Old Testament is contained in Genesis through uh, Esther, then what's happening in Isaiah through Malachi is not later on, but those are prophets that exist within that timeline. They are speaking, they're prophets that God has raised up to speak into various aspects of the life of Israel. So Isaiah all the way through Malachi, and in particular what we will look at over the next 12 weeks, Hosea through Malachi, these minor prophets, are all existing somewhere in that timeline, uh, really going on from basically about 1 Kings through the time of Nehemiah. That's basically when the vast majority of the prophets are actually doing their speaking. And so these prophets are men that are raised up by God to speak into the life of Israel during that historical narrative. So do you kind of see that? And I want you to understand that's how the Old Testament, at least in our English books, is organized to give you kind of a little bit of a flow. So when you find yourself in one of the prophets and you're kind of wondering, oh, what's going on here? Where am I? Well, you're probably at a time somewhere in the nation of Israel during the time of First Kings through Nehemiah. That's probably where you are. Those prophets, and I'm speaking with really broad brushes, they're speaking into a time. And then, let me, that gets me to this final setup before we dig into the message of Hosea, is that these prophets, so let me do a kind of quick Old Testament outline. We won't do this every time, but this is, I think, kind of foundational for us to understand. Obviously, we know the Bible begins with God creating everything. He creates the world, and from the world, he creates a people for himself. Genesis 12 is really important, where God, he raises up this man, Abraham, and through this one man, he creates this nation of Israel, who becomes God's people, a kind of showcase of God's mercy in the Old Testament. And so really, from Genesis chapter 12, all the way to the end of the Old Testament, is a story of God's dealings with this one particular nation not merely for that nation, but so that through that nation, through those people, God would bless all the peoples of the earth. And so we see that they're formed, and it's a long story, and it, obviously it would take more than just a few minutes to summarize it faithfully. But just to give you a sense, this nation forms, they become a people, God gives them a land, and eventually he gives them a king. And that King Saul is not a good king, and then God raises up King David, who is a good king. And King David becomes this kind of Old Testament picture, even in his imperfection, 
And even in his sin, he is a good king, and he's a kind of shadow. He's a shadow and a forerunner of the true and better king that will come, which is Jesus. And so the Old Testament, in fact, the whole life of Israel, much of it is filled with types and shadows that are picturing something in the New Testament, primarily in the life of Christ. And so David raises up, God raises up David. He's this king of God's people. He dies, and his son Solomon comes onto the throne, and then he dies, and then Solomon's son rises to power, and things begin to descend quickly. And after Solomon's son begins his reign, then there's all sorts of turmoil in the life of Israel. And in fact, what happens around the time of 1 Kings is Israel is so disjointed, so sinful, so rebellious that they actually split. There's a kind of civil war, and you have the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. And the northern kingdom is Israel, and the southern kingdom is Judah. Now, oftentimes we refer to both of them as Israel, and that's okay to do, but it gets kind of complicated sometimes when you're reading the Old Testament that the northern kingdom is referred to as Israel or Ephraim or Jacob, and the southern kingdom is referred to Judah. And the vast majority of the prophets, this is important for you to understand, especially as we're going through these 12 prophets, these minor prophets, the vast majority of these prophets are raised up during this time of the divided kingdom to warn them, to rebuke them, to call them to repentance, that they would come back to the Lord, that they would be reconciled to the Lord and reconciled to one another. And much of the Old Testament prophets are a warning of the consequences that will come if they don't turn back to the Lord. And primary amongst those consequences is that you will be overtaken by foreign invaders. The Babylonians will come, the Syrians will come, the Assyrians, the Assyrians will come, and they will conquer you and take you captive. But even as the major note that is often played in the prophets is a word of rebuke and a word of warning, there is a beautiful golden thread of hope that exists in all of the prophets. So maybe 90% of the message of each of the prophets, which are speaking to God's people, with the exception of, say, like Nahum, which is a small little book, which is actually God uh, speaking a word of judgment on Israel's enemies, the 90% of the, the message of the prophets will often be a word of rebuke and warning. There will be this beautiful golden thread of hope on the horizon that a true and better king is coming and is pointing to the true and better king, which is Christ. And so that's really, I think, a kind of short summary of all of the message of the prophets. Now we find ourselves in Hosea, the first of the minor prophets. Hosea was a prophet that was raised up during this time of the divided kingdom. So he would have lived in the time about 720, 750 or so B.C., right at, the, right at the time of the divided kingdom, right before Israel is about to be taken captive by her enemy, the Assyrians. And Hosea is raised up as a prophet to warn God's people, but also to give them a word of hope. Now here's how Hosea is organized. I'm going to give you a brief overview of the organization of Hosea, and then we're going to drill down on a passage and read it and apply it, and that will be it. Hosea is remarkable because Hosea, in his first three chapters, uses the imagery 
of God telling Hosea the prophet to marry an adulterous woman, Gomer. And he's telling Hosea to marry this woman. And this woman, this is basically the first three chapters, are about Hosea's relationship with Gomer, this adulterous woman that, that Hosea has taken as his wife. Why would God call Hosea to do that? Well, the prophet tells us this, God tells us this, that it is a picture of God, the heavenly husband's relationship with his spiritually adulterous wife, which is Israel. And that's what the first three chapters of Hosea are about. He tells Hosea, marry this woman, this, this, this sinful woman who is going to be unfaithful to you, but remain, love her anyway. And it's a picture of God's steadfast love of his bride, Israel. And then chapters 4 through the end of, the, 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 uh, of, of Hosea 14 are basically warnings where God is rebuking Hosea and he's telling, or God through Hosea is rebuking Israel and he is telling Israel to turn from her unfaithfulness, turn from her sin. And if she doesn't, then what will happen? Then the Assyrians who they're making allegiances with, who they're making alliances with, the Assyrians will eventually take them over. And of course, that is exactly what happens. But even as God speaks a word of judgment through Hosea to Israel, there are words of hope. In particular, chapter 11 and chapter 14 are these words of promise and hope that God will redeem his people. He will rescue his unfaithful wife and he will make her faithful. So if you could just kind of summarize what the message of Hosea is, it is that despite our unfaithfulness, the Lord is faithful to save his bride. That's the message of Hosea. And that is a word to his people through the ages. So I want us to read Hosea chapter 14. And I want you to have the backdrop of God speaking a word of judgment over his adulterous spouse, Israel, with the object lesson of Hosea's own marriage to Gomer as a picture of his relationship with Israel. And this is the final word of hope that God gives to Israel after all of these warnings and promises of judgment, but then this final gospel note played at the end of all of these warnings. He says to Israel, Return, O Israel, Hosea chapter 14, to the Lord your God, for you have stumbled because of your iniquity. Take with you words and return to the Lord Say to him, take away all iniquity, accept what is good, and we will pay with bulls the vows of our lips. Assyria shall not save us. We will not ride on horses, and we will say no more our God to the work of our hands. In you the orphan finds mercy. I will heal their apostasy. I will love them freely, for my anger has turned from them. I will be like the dew to Israel. He shall blossom like the lily. He shall take root like the trees of Lebanon. His shoots shall spread out. His beauty shall be like the olive and his fragrance like Lebanon. They shall return and dwell beneath my shadow. They shall flourish like the grain. 
They shall blossom like the vine. Their, their fame shall be like the wine of Lebanon. O Ephraim, that's another word for Israel, the northern kingdom. O Ephraim, what have I to do with idols? It is I who answer and look after you. I am like an evergreen cypress. From me comes your fruit. Whoever is wise, let him understand these things. Whoever is discerning, let him know them. For the ways of the Lord are right, and the upright walk in them. But transgressors stumble in them. Okay, I wanted to, three takeaways from the steadfast love of God for his people in Hosea. The first we find in the first three verses of this chapter. It's turn away. This is a call to turn away from our idols and our allegiances. They can not save. The first verse there, he says, Israel, return to the Lord. You've, you've given yourself over to these, to these idols. We're, stop it. Come back to me. Verse 3, Assyria will not save us. We will not ride on horses, and we will say no more, our God, to the work of our hands. In, the orphan, in you, the orphan finds mercy. What is this? This is a picture. Israel was making these allegiances with Assyria to protect them from other surrounding nations, and it ended up coming back to haunt them because ultimately they ended up in Assyrian captivity. And we look at our lives, how we sometimes do not look to the Lord. We look to other things to save us. If I can just have a little more of this or a little more of that. And our world is all the time, our culture is selling us the siren song is if you have this, then you will be happy. If you get that, then you will be satisfied. The question that we need, the work that we need to do in our hearts is to ask ourselves, what are the idols and what are the allegiances that we are prone to be unfaithful with the Lord to? What are the things that draw us away from the Lord that we deceive ourselves to think that if we just get this, then I will be safe. If I just get that, then I will be happy. If we fill that blank with anything but the steadfast love of the Lord, we are just like Israel in the time of the divided kingdom. We are making allegiances with false idols that cannot save. So Hosea should force us to ask, what are my Assyrians? What are my false gods? What are my idols? What are the things that I am putting my hope in? So I think lesson number one for us from Hosea is turn away from our idols and our allegiances. They cannot save. Secondly, though, the good news of Hosea is that the Lord's mercy alone can and does heal us. This is verse 4. After he tells him, turn back from me. And this is after 13 chapters, basically, of judgment. The Lord says, I will heal their apostasy. I will love them freely, for my anger has turned from them. Friends, that is the gospel in the Old Testament. I will heal their apostasy. They were faithless, but I will heal them from their faithlessness. I will love them freely. In other words, not because of anything, any condition met in them. I will give them the free grace of the gospel in Jesus Christ, and my anger will be turned from them. It is the Lord who does it. I want you to go to Hebrew, or Hosea chapter 2, all the way back to the beginning of the book, and look at this little 
gospel thread of hope, even in the midst of this horrible first three chapters where God is basically telling Hosea to marry this, uh, this immoral woman. And then, I mean, it's almost, it's, it's kind of hard from our perspective to sort of like, oh my gosh, God really, he, he basically tells Hosea, look, marry this woman and then have a child with her and name that child no mercy because I'm not going to have any mercy on my people. And then have another child and name that child not my people because you are not my people if you continue to act like this. And we think, oh my gosh, God is actually dealing with people like this. I mean, when you read the Old Testament prophets, it sort of stretches your view of the severity of the holiness of God, and it will challenge our little Instagram-filtered view of God where everything is flowery and everything just seems to be awesome. We have a God who's telling this man to marry this woman and name your child no mercy and not my people. And yet, in the midst of that judgment, this is what God says to Hosea in chapter 2, and uh, I'll start in verse 14. And in the midst of this judgment, he's, he's talking about how he's going to woo her back to him. Therefore, behold, I will allure her and bring her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. And there I will give her her vineyards, and make the valley of Achor a door of hope. And there she shall answer as in the days of her youth, as at the time when she came out of the land of Egypt. And in that day, declares the Lord, you will call me my husband, and no longer will you call me my Baal. In other words, the false gods. For I will remove the names of the Baals, or the false gods, the idols from her mouth, and they shall be remembered by, by name no more. And I will make for them a covenant on that day the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, and the creeping things of the ground. And I will abolish the bow, the sword, and the war from the land. And I will make you lie down in safety. And I will betroth you to me forever. This is the Lord doing it all. I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice. In steadfast love and in mercy, I will betroth you to me in faithfulness. And you shall know the Lord. And in that day I will answer, declares the Lord. I will answer the heavens, and they shall answer the earth. And the earth shall answer the grain, the wine, and the oil. And they shall answer Jezreel. And I will sow her for myself in the land. And I will have mercy on no mercy. And I will say to not my people, you are my people. And he shall say, you are my God. So he turns the judgment into mercy, and he does it. God does it. Friends, what does this remind you of? It reminds you of Lazarus in the grave. He's dead. How does Lazarus come back to life? Because he cooperates with God? Because he decides to get his act together and do better? No. God makes him alive. And it's the Lord's mercy that heals Israel. And it's the Lord's mercy that heals us. And by the way, this, this, this beautiful phrase about not my people shall be called my people and those of no mercy shall be given mercy is the very same verse that Paul quotes in Romans chapter 9 when he is talking about how God in his sovereignty makes people who are dead in their sins alive through his free grace. 
It's the Lord's mercy that can heal us. So what is, what is Hosea? Hosea is a picture of the Christian life. It's a picture of Israel, of our faithlessness, of our adultery against God, spiritually speaking, and how we as a faithless bride are running away from God, and God chases us down. He allows us to suffer the consequences of the judgment that should be rightly us, ours to some degree, but before we cast ourselves away forever, God saves us. That's the testimony of every Christian. And the Lord's mercy alone can heal us. And then thirdly, that we see at the end of this passage, is the Lord, not only does he save us, but he promises blessing. He says to verse, let me read the, the truth, the Lord will prosper his people. So this is the third thing I want us to see. The Lord will prosper his people, and he alone can satisfy. So he says to his, his faithless bride, that he has made faithful, that he promised to make faithful. I will be like the dew to Israel. He shall blossom like the lily. He shall take root like the trees of Lebanon. His shoots shall spread out. His beauty shall be like the olive and his fragrance like Lebanon. They shall return and dwell beneath my shadow. They shall flourish like the grain. They shall, like, they shall blossom like the vine. Their fame shall be like the wine of Lebanon. Oh, Ephraim, what have I to do with idols? In other words, leave all that junk behind. It is I who answer and look after you. I am your husband is what he's saying. I am like an evergreen cypress. From me comes your fruit. And so not only will he heal us, he will prosper us. Now what is this? What's the application to us? Is this a promise of earthly blessing? A kind of prosperity gospel shadow at the end of this Old Testament prophet that promises us riches and comfort? No. The, Old, the New Testament picks up these promises of inheritance and says that ultimately these things are coming to us in the new heavens and the new earth, but they are experienced by the Christian not in earthly comforts, but in peace with God through Jesus Christ. And we have that. We have that prosperity now, and we will have it fully when we enjoy Him forever and ever and ever with Jesus in heaven. This is the message of Hosea. It'll take you about 35 minutes to listen to it on an audio Bible. And if you read it slowly and listen to it intently, your heart will be convicted and your heart will soar as you apply the message of Hosea about the steadfast love of God over and against the faithlessness of his people and the promise of God to redeem his unfaithful bride, which is us. Amen? Amen. So read Hosea sometime this week, and then read Joel too. And next week, I think one of the, Robert or Tyler or Springer or somebody is going to preach through Joel, and that is it. Praise God. Praise God. Um, all right, let's do this. Let's, um, let me pray, and then let's sing a song. Let's sing the doxology and um, that will be it, and we'll hang around and um, talk and fellowship. And one of our goals for this Sunday night is, um, is that we would get to know one another and just kind of dwell in the presence of the Lord. We don't want to keep it long, but we want to keep it uh, warm, and we want to encourage one another in the Lord. Um, let me pray, and then we'll, we'll stand. Lord, thank you for your grace to us. Thank you for the faithfulness of your love for your wayward bride, Israel, which is a picture 
of your people, your covenant people, the church. Lord, we know that the only true faithful one is Christ. He's the only one that truly deserves your love. He's the only one that has truly obeyed your commandments. And for those that are in Christ, we receive all that there is to receive in Him. Because we are grafted to you, because we are yours in Christ, we receive, as Ephesians says, every spiritual blessing in Christ. Lord, it would be uh, spiritually uh, sad if we read Hosea or we listened to Hosea and we thought, oh my, those, those Israelites, how, how ignorant they could be that they would chase after these false gods and not examine our own hearts. Lord, may we in this room examine our hearts and see where we are seeking false pleasures, false allegiances, false gods. Uh, our gods are not necessarily carved in wooden images, but they're, they're ideas, they're principalities, they're, they're things that exist in our heart where we are putting our hope in things outside of you. Lord, illuminate those things to our hearts and let us see them so that we might take the sword of the Spirit and slay them with your help. And we might return afresh to you in areas where we need to repent. Lord, may we remember that it is only you that can heal us and it is only you that can satisfy us. Lord, help us to walk in this reality that you are our faithful Lord. You are our steadfast God as we go into this week and only you can satisfy Lord, help us with this, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.